Welcome to No Nonsense Nonprofit, the podcast that gives you quick, actionable information, tools, and techniques to help you magnify your mission impact. Together, we'll cut through the noise, reconnect with our heart-centered work, and get stuff done. I'm your host, Sarai Johnson, Sailor Tongue Change Agent, Amazon best-selling author, purveyor of nonprofit wisdom, and founder of Lean Nonprofit. I founded Lean Nonprofit because I believe nonprofits are businesses too, so you want to run yours like a boss. No Nonsense Nonprofit will help you do exactly that, plus you'll have fun doing it. So let's get started with this week's topic. Hello, everybody. This is Sarai Johnson with No Nonsense Nonprofit and Lean Nonprofit. I'm excited to be with you today to talk about how to supercharge your nonprofit career, or any career for that matter. A lot of people ask me how I became a consultant for nonprofits. They want to know what I did and what I learned and where I learned it and how because they have similar goals and dreams. A lot of these people are students, a lot of these people are currently working in nonprofits or are in the public sector or private sector and are interested in in doing this kind of work. So I'm going to tell you how I got into nonprofit work and um, how I invested in myself, how I ended up where I am now, and how I do what I do every day, which is help nonprofits build better businesses to get real mission results. So I've broken down my trajectory in a way that can hopefully provide you with some specific tools and practices that you can use to move yourself forward in your own career. A lot of this stuff is conventional wisdom. I'm not going to pretend I have some proprietary code that I've unlocked and nobody else has ever happened upon before. I also can't say that I've experienced a perfect straight line of a career with no sidebars or mishaps. I've taken a lot of funny twists and turns and all of them have taught me something, whether I learned what I loved and was good at, or if I learned what I definitely was not interested in, it was really important for me to take something valuable with every job I've ever had. I don't mean taking valuables, I mean learning something important. (laughs) I also didn't have a career that just took me from point A to point B. I didn't grow up knowing that I wanted to be a consultant and purveyor of nonprofit wisdom. I had no idea that I would do almost any of the things I ended up doing with the possible exception of being a writer. I really always wanted to do that but didn't know how or know that I could. All I knew was that I wanted to help people and not be bored. I never wanted to live an ordinary life and I mostly haven't actually, which is pretty cool. Nothing I've done along the way has been particularly ingenious either. I didn't get an amazing undergraduate education. No offense, Central Christian College of Kansas, go Tigers. But it wasn't exactly a challenge to get into this little tiny school in the middle of nowhere, nor was it a particularly stimulating education. Although I will say I had some amazing professors who cared enough about me to help ask questions that would help me to become the person I was to become, to open doors and provide me with opportunities to get ahead. They helped me challenge my long-held beliefs so that I could open my mind and consider different viewpoints. I accidentally stumbled upon the ability to think for myself and forge my own path, and I didn't know how to do things the right way anyway. Nobody ever taught me what the right way even was, so I figured everything out as I went and eventually realized pretty much everybody else is just doing that all the time anyway. The sooner you realize that everybody is just figuring it out as they go all the time anyway, the better off you're going to be because the sooner that will give you the permission to do the same thing and do it without fear and without self-consciousness. So I'll tell you a little bit more about my story because my story is going to illustrate the top 10 things that I think you can do to supercharge your career and get where you want to go in record time. So I was in college. And when I was there, I was convinced that I wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to help people. I was interested in psychology and counseling. And because of those two things, and the fact that I was also very religious, uh, it was really clear to me that a life as a pastor was what I was going to do. And I believed that I was called into that work. It felt like a vocation that I could get into. And what's interesting is that while I never was a pastor, I've never been employed in a church, I actually have served in a way um, of providing spiritual guidance and helping people to find out who they are and what they're meant to be throughout my entire life. So this isn't something that was just a lark. It was just that I wasn't necessarily exposed to a lot of different options by way of potential careers. I was homeschooled, so I was pretty sheltered, and I didn't have any kind of career counseling office in my homeschool school. So I was a little bit on my own in that way. And the college I went to had two different majors. It was so small. There were like maybe less than 300 people when I went there. It was just ministry or business. And because I was under the impression that business was bad and ministry was good, I went with the thing that I thought was good. So a lot of things really interested me in me. Uh, A lot of things interested me as a kid and as a young person. And I also knew that I was a leader. I 
I knew I loved life transformation and um, that's what made pastoring make sense to me at the time. But by the time I was a junior in college, I knew I didn't want to work in a church. To me, it felt really isolating and restrictive. And I honestly had no idea what to do about that because I already had three years of school under my belt and I was paying for college on my own dime. So I definitely didn't want to pick up a new major or anything like that. So what I did was I took a couple years off school. I went back to my hometown. I always planned on finishing school, and I did after a while, but I did take a little bit of time. I took a couple years, worked in a coffee shop in my hometown. I had a ton of fun with my friends and my siblings, and I learned a lot about myself and about life. It was important. It was worthwhile. Now that I think about it, it was really kind of a poor man's version of a gap year, which I've been told is totally beneficial. So I guess if you can find a way to make it happen and you haven't done this already or you're in a place where you can, take a gap year and find yourself. Uh, It's a totally privileged thing to say, I recognize. But I honestly just now realize that my gap year happened while I camped out at my mom and dad's house and worked at a coffee shop. It wasn't Europe, but it was important to my development. And while I worked at that coffee shop, I weaseled my way into management. I was taking classes at a local college for a term. And while I was in that college, I took a business class and had to read a book called Theory R Management, which is by Wayne T. Alderson and Nancy Alderson McDonald. I took a lot of the concepts from that book to help my passive-aggressive post-it note using efficiency-issuing boss run the place better. The shop was cleaner, the drinks were more consistent, and customers were happier. It was my first taste of management success. I wrote policies and procedures and trained new baristas. I helped them streamline processes, sort through years of back accounting, and helped get the place stabilized. And then I went back to Kansas to go to college. Beautiful CCCOK, go Tigers. I graduated college two years after all my friends did, but it was okay. Although at the time I was terribly worried that I was way behind and I was missing out on some important career thing. So I rushed into a, with all caps, real life job as soon as I was done. I worked at a summer camp one last time and then I took an ill-fated teaching position at a Christian school that was operated by a church. That was a really earth shattering experience. It was my first failure. Before I crashed and burned at the school, though, I found myself developing and presenting a school-wide behavior management system to all of the teachers and to the administration. I was always alone in my classroom with no supports. I was surrounded by high-needs kids. I fought for those kids, even when fighting for them looked like me saying they needed to go to a public school where at least they had some supports. The experience turned sour in a perfect storm of my own overwhelming stress and the administrator slash pastor's wife turning on me and the removal of the last shred of support I thought I might have. Also, they let a kid's mom's boyfriend sit in my class for a week, which was a disaster. I know I traumatized a lot of kids that year, but I did learn some important lessons. And I think it was also really important for me to have some kind of failure. And that sounds kind of weird, but I think before I did this job, I hadn't really experienced anything that I couldn't do well enough to get by or excel at. And so it was, it was really useful for me to have that experience. It shattered me in many ways and it was really traumatizing and and sad, but at the same time, it served a major purpose in my life. I also think that it was important for me to understand that you can recover from something like that and that a failure in work doesn't define me as a person and it doesn't stop me from being able to have a really meaningful, valuable career. So after I had that job in a school where I crashed and burned, I went back to my hometown. I got a job in a coffee shop again, a different one. That was a chain coffee shop, locally owned as a trainer. So I was training all the new baristas at the company headquarters and then going to stores and um, helping them in the stores as well as continuing training with people. So a week after I started that job, they gave me my own store to manage and I stayed there for about a year. And then after a year of whipping that joint into place, it was the cleanest store in in the chain. I was one of the most profitable stores. We had major savings on waste. We had awesome employee tenure. I got a new job, which was made up. It was basically what Dwight Dwight Schrute would call an assistant regional manager. I got to oversee seven stores, and I worked between three different towns. It included lots of travel, and most interestingly to me, I got to develop a manager's training program and to survey all of the staff to understand how we can increase the longevity of staff in stores, make improvements to processes, manage consistency from store to store, and all kinds of different recommendations. I worked those recommendations into proposals, and I sent them through the right channels, from my boss to her boss, and so on, until we finally took all that I had done forward to the queen bee herself, the vice president of the organization. 
The thing was, she was really the brains behind the operation because the owner was basically just a hilariously eccentric figurehead. She didn't like what I had to say, though. It came back that I hurt her feelings by making these recommendations, which was weird to me because I definitely wasn't doing it in a spiteful way. And also, it was business, so I didn't know that I could hurt the vice president's feelings and then get in trouble for that. So I was pretty flabbergasted by this experience. Um, most of what was proposed in those uh, in the proposals that I was putting forth were basically kind of characterized or recharacterized rather into me complaining or saying that a bunch of stuff was wrong, whereas I had actually carefully cataloged what other people's concerns were that were echoed across all the stores, found the patterns and what they were saying, and then suggested different ways that we could address the staff's ideas for improvement, keep people longer, and so on. But alas, I was told at the time that my job was now just to put out fires which was stupid, so I left about a month later. I don't believe in just putting out fires. I believe only you can prevent forest fires, and I'd rather put my efforts into prevention. Shortly after that, I went to Levi Strauss. So I got a lot of really cheap jeans in sample sales, and it was amazing. At that job, I was a travel and entertainment associate. And by this time, I will add, I was in my late 20s, and I was kind of having career FOMO. So fear of missing out, for those of you who aren't up on your internet acronyms, I was worried that I wasn't doing anything important enough and that I needed to do something more impressive or make more money or something like that. So I got this corporate job. I was the travel and entertainment associate, and it was in accounts payable. I was in charge of reviewing everyone's expense reports and making sure that they were compliant with company policies. I had to add up everyone's expenses for each day that they traveled and then send warnings to people if they weren't in compliance or demand that they repay the company money if they went over their budget. Then I had to record their violations in an access database and then I had to audit company Amex cards, took on managing the purchase card audit system. I got the purchase cards ready to shift into an electronic management system, helped the department get ready to transition from a hilariously outdated DOS-based system to SAP, and then took on whatever other projects made sense to take on to help the department make that big transition. I also, in, in the course of my work, found a lot of efficiencies in travel and entertainment, which actually bothered my counterpart because it made it clear that our jobs were redundant. So I ended up leaving that organization because I had so much time on my hands in that job and also had such mindless work to do. It was a lot of like going through spreadsheets and copying and pasting things. And it was weird. I ended up listening all the time to like these leftist podcasts. <laughs> and so I found myself really frustrated with, first of all, like working for the man and getting paid, you know, minimal amount to do this job and being in charge of everyone's purchase cards. And I will never forget this one day I went to a company-wide staff meeting, which we did by like teleconference. And the president was talking about, you know, we've got to tighten our belts and blah, blah, blah. This was like 2007. So it was really kind of almost the recession, or at least it was probably starting to happen and people weren't calling it that yet. And so... I heard him say that, and I'm like, all right, cool. Well, I'm in charge of a lot of things with expenses, so this will be great. And immediately, I swear to God, the second I got back to my desk, I was auditing purchase cards, and I pulled out his purchase card right next because it was in the line, and I saw that he had just bought a painting of a horse for $700. And I was like, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm sure this wasn't a necessity. So I decided to quit that day. <laughs> I put in my two weeks notice and got a different job. <laughs> Which is interesting, but honestly, it just felt at that point that I couldn't continue doing work that was so out of alignment with partly what I was even interested in doing. Like, I'm not a detail-oriented, audit things kind of a person. That's really, really boring to me. Um, and also, I didn't want to work in a place that I didn't feel like was um, consistent in the work that they were pr promoting for the staff to do and then not making leadership line up with that. That really sucked to me. So I left, and then I went to work at this crazy restaurant that was starting up. It was brand new. It was a coffee shop restaurant concept. It was in Eugene, Oregon, where there's like a bunch of hippies, and it's you know all organic and crunchy and cool. And I thought it would be really fun until it turned out that the owners were psychotic. So I went there. I worked there for probably eight weeks or something like that. Got the restaurant started off the ground, and then um, the boss... The owner was really 
stressed. Uh, opening a restaurant is really hard to do. And if you've never done any work in the restaurant industry, and she was a realtor before this, uh, you, you just don't know maybe how hard it is. And so she was really stressed from it all and um, took it out on her employees, which was not okay with me. Uh, she yelled at one of my baristas one day and I went down and I did the most epic, amazing quit I've ever done in my whole life uh, and told her off and I told her how much money she owed me and I um, got all that she owed me. So it was pretty, pretty crazy, but it was also important because I think one of the things I learned in that situation was how to stand up for myself and how to advocate for my ideas that I knew would work. And, um, when it wasn't going to be a place that I could be because my boss was too abusive, I left. And I'm really proud of that actually, even though it was weird at the time, uh, because working for a place for eight weeks and leaving your steady corporate job uh, wasn't really necessarily a smart career move on the surface. However, right after that, about a month and a half later or something like that, is when I got my job at NEDCO, Neighborhood Economic Development Corporation. In 2007, I had taken a class that NEDCO offered called um, um, the ABCs of home buying. So I learned how to plan my finances and um, prepare myself to purchase my first home. And I was so excited because at that time, as I mentioned, I was listening to a lot of leftist kind of podcasts and um, a lot of like different recordings and reading a lot of books. I was fascinated by economic justice and really interested in it. So I was thrilled to find out that there was a community development corporation in my town doing work toward economic justice. And so I was really excited about that. I went to their website one day. I don't know why, but I just did and found that they were hiring for a home ownership counselor. And as soon as I saw that job posting, I knew it was the job I was meant to have. So I applied for it. I didn't have any real qualifications for that particular job, but what was cool about it was that I didn't have to. I mean, I think they required that I have a college degree and that I have some cursory knowledge of the home buying process, which I did because they taught it to me. So that was super lucky. I remember really well that interview. I was sitting around a table. I think there were seven people interviewing me, which, which is kind of intimidating. And I never felt more comfortable in an interview than I did that day. I was just like ready to share about how I had gotten out of debt. And even though I didn't have a lot of income, I was able to make some ma major progress on my goals. I learned how to save money. I had learned, you know, taught myself through their help and through other resources, how to budget and how to how to get myself into a place where I was more financially stable and could build assets. And because that was the organization's mission and particularly the mission that this, this um, position had, I was hired. So it was really awesome. And the cool thing about NEDCO at that time was that I got there just in time for a total sea change. It was the beginning of 2008. I started on January 2nd, 2008. And of course the housing market was falling apart right then. And I had come into it with this great desire to help low-income people buy homes. Uh, but at the very moment that I was starting, the housing market was starting to falter. Well, it was great for low-income people because they could buy a house, finally, in our area, which had gotten very inflated and, and too expensive for most people to afford. So that was really useful. But the thing was that the organization's entire funding mechanism was built on the housing market. So we used to develop and sell homes for low-income people, and that was how we got most of our income as an organization, with a little bit of grants, but that was about it. So I happened to step into this ripe moment of change. And what I did was um, partnered with the executive director who was there at the time and worked on new programs. And we started a farmer's market with, in partnership with a city that was in our area. Uh, I think the next year we moved our offices from um, one side of the river to the other side. So we were in a downtown. We, uh, our executive director left and we got a new executive director who I loved and we did a whole bunch of new projects. So we did a lot of like downtown revitalization and, uh, in 2008 we had started doing foreclosure intervention counseling and so forth. So while I was on the job, I was able to learn a lot of new skills. I had to get certified in homeownership education and counseling, uh, because we were a HUD agency. And so that was just a requirement that they had. And, um, so I was exposed to a lot of education and a a lot of learning really quickly. And I was so passionate about the work that it was really easy for me to invest in myself 
either through what the organization itself was paying for and sending me to, or through my own efforts, which I did a lot of reading. I have a whole library of books that I bought while I worked at Nedco in different capacities. Uh, And of course, I also went to grad school while I was still working there because I was so interested in, one, supporting the organization, and two, also advancing my career and being more and more equipped to do more important things for the organization. So that's a long story in and of itself. And I recognize that now I have told you basically my resume, but hopefully a little bit more interestingly than I put it in my resume. When I worked at Nedco, I'll tell you kind of the different um, titles I had, and then I will tell you how I did that in a second. But I started out as a homeownership counselor, and then about six or eight months later, I was a program manager, which was a promotion because I was running the farmer's market. So there was a little interim time where I was homeownership counselor slash uh, farmer's market manager, which was sort of weird. Uh, And then I became a program manager overall. And then as soon as my... um, new boss came in. I was the community development manager. So I was heading up a new department. I had an AmeriCorps Vista that I supervised and I was starting to build a team with that. Then I um, got an additional AmeriCorps and ended up hiring the Vista from the year before that. So I was starting to build a bit of a team there. After I was the community development manager for maybe six months or so, I became the program and resource development director because we did some internal restructuring and I was able to advance further. Um, I was in charge of all of our resource development, which included starting a donor program for the first time in the organization's history. And then I also oversaw all of our program development in the two different departments that we had at the time, which were our um, homeownership and uh, foreclosure counseling and then the... Um, community development side. So that was really fun uh, and exciting for me at that time. About a year later, I became the assistant director, and that was the job I held until the time I left, uh, which was probably about two or three years after that. So I had a lot of different titles and a lot of different roles in the organization. And it was an interesting journey, and it was not typical. So it was something that I think uh, happened partly because of external circumstances and partly because of these 10 things that I'm going to tell you about that you can also apply to yourself. In fact, before I get to the 10, I'm going to give you a bonus thing and tell you that one of the most important things that I've done in my life, uh, whether it was while I was at Nedco or after, and I believe it was actually after, uh, is find out my deepest why. It's the, the answer to the question, why do I do what I do? And then asking myself why every time I answer that question until I get to the core of why I'm here. So, for example, I'll say that I, um, I help nonprofits build better businesses to get bigger mission results. So that's my kind of basic thing that I do right now with my business. And then if I ask the question why to that, why do I help nonprofits to build better businesses to get bigger mission results? Well, the answer to that question is that, well, nonprofits are businesses, but we don't always run them that way. And also we might not get the mission results we expect because we don't know how to measure it and or how to run our businesses to get those results. So there's my next why. So the next why is I don't know that nonprofits necessarily think of themselves as businesses and that also I don't know that um, we put enough um, emphasis on what it means to get a mission result. And then another why, like why is that important to me? Well, it's important to me that nonprofits live up to all of the potential that they have to do good in the world. And it's also important to me that people who work in nonprofits feel great about their contributions and know exactly what they should do every day so that they can reach the results that they're trying to get. Why is that important? Well, it's important to me that people who work in nonprofits have the resources that they need to be happy and content in their jobs because I think that they're amazing people and they deserve to feel happy and they deserve to do what they're passionate about and want to do. And why do I think that? Well, because I believe ultimately in freedom and self-determination and I want people to be able to have the opportunity to find how they relate to the world and what makes them tick and what makes them successful and what makes the world better because they're in it. 
And so what I think is really interesting about that is that once I figured out that liberation, freedom, and self-determination are all a thread for me, I can go back to almost every job I've ever had and see how that applies within it. So obviously that's what I do right now in my work, but it's also exactly what I was doing when I worked at Nedco. And it was also what I was doing when I worked at the coffee shops where I wanted to support my fellow baristas and other people I was working with to help them be more successful in their job. And by producing supports for them and developing systems and developing operating standards, I was able to help them be more successful because they knew what was expected of them and what success looked like. So those are all places that I've seen that important why emerge. So I want to encourage you to take some time now or after you're done listening to this podcast to to ask yourself why at least five times about why you do what you do. Because once you can connect with your deepest real passion, that'll help you to guide and drive everything else that you do from here on out. You might find that what you're doing right now reflects that passion for you. Or you might find that you're not doing something that you're really passionate about and you may need to switch gears. So those are that's just one exercise that I really highly recommend for figuring out kind of who you are and what drives what you do. So here we are into the top 10 things to do to supercharge your career. And I appreciate you listening to my story. And hopefully it'll make a little bit more sense even as I get into these um, pieces. But the first thing that I really want to recommend is that you become an insatiably curious person. If you're not currently curious, then you're probably not listening to this podcast anyway. But if you are, here you are. Congratulations, you're already insatiably curious because you're doing something to answer a question you didn't know you had, or perhaps this is a question that you had. So you're looking for information to do something with it. If you're insatiably curious, you're always looking for more information about something. You're always trying to learn something. You're what people call a lifelong learner. You might want to always be challenged by something. You might be willing to take on new things. You might be a person who engages with different concepts and different issues really passionately and with great interest. So for instance, I'm insatiably curious, uh, and I find that my curiosity takes form in a lot of different interesting ways. For instance, I found that I love to look at things that most people don't want to think about or talk about. I've just done two blog posts in the last couple months about these things. One of them was living in a mortuary, which I did when I was younger working at that regional coffee shop. Um, I lived in a mortuary and it was an amazing experience and I learned a lot from that experience. And the other thing is I'm really fascinated by municipal waste, which is sort of funny. But when I was in college, I, one of my best friends had a dad who ran, um, a recycling program for a County that was nearby, which in the middle of Kansas is really rare. So I had an awesome time. Every time I went to her house, which was in Wichita, her dad would let me borrow his recycling magazine and we would talk about waste management. And it was just always really fascinating to me for whatever reason. Um, and just the other day, I went to the landfill to meet with the guys there because I have a contract that actually allows me to take kids on tours of the landfill. So that's an insatiably curious thing. Like, why does garbage interest me? I don't know. It's just really interesting. So I like to learn about it and I like to tell other people about it so that we can make different choices about it. Is it my life passion forever? No, not really. My life passion is freedom, liberation, self-determination. And some of that has to do with how we make choices about what we do with our waste. So, you know, I'm insatiably curious and you can be too. Think about things that you're interested in that are kind of unique to you or that you might want to learn more about, or you could even pick something at random to say, I'm going to learn a new thing every week. It just doesn't have to be anything important. It could be something little. So challenge yourself by asking yourself questions or by considering things you hadn't thought of before. Another example of that in my life recently is um, I was just doing a theory of change workshop for a great organization locally that does work internationally with people who have disabilities. And one of the things we were talking about in that was like, what are the underlying problems that people with disabilities face? They do uh, work about... Uh, they're a national clearinghouse for disability and exchange, and their goal is to increase the number of people with disabilities who participate in exchange programs and travel abroad. 
Well, you know, that brought up all kinds of things that people with disabilities face that I hadn't really considered. And there are people in my life that I'm close to who have disabilities, yet I haven't really thought about the underlying social issues that, you know, lead to additional challenges for people with disabilities. And, and I um, was found myself really drawn into this conversation because I wanted to know more about it. And one of them mentioned a book called No Pity, which I haven't read yet, but I bought uh, because I want to read it. I want to understand this issue from a different perspective. And that is insatiable curiosity. That's also one of the things that makes being a consultant so fun for me because I get to experience this kind of little um, flame of curiosity in all kinds of different contexts. So think about that in your own life and how you can be more curious and how you can really feed that curiosity. Another thing to do, second thing, is look for patterns in what you do and what you enjoy. So if you have a job right now that you like or dislike, it doesn't really matter. You will find throughout your career that there are things you've always done in every job you've ever had or tried to do. And sometimes those things have been successful and sometimes those things haven't been. But whatever the case is, you always do it no matter what. So I told you my whole career trajectory partially because I wanted to point out to you that in every job I've had, really seriously, I've always found ways to make improvements. I've always been able to say, hey, here's a way we could operate better, and this is what I propose to do about that, usually producing then the result that I was looking for. So, hey, we need um, policies and procedures, and I happen to write some up. What do you think? Let's, let's edit them from here. So I've had the pattern always of acting as a consultant internally to organizations that I worked for. It was always part of who I am and always part of how I've approached every single job. I want to know why we do things the way we do them, and once I understand why, I can totally do them the the way they're meant to be done, or if the reason why isn't satisfactory to me, I'll find a different way that's better and then propose it. And if it is accepted, great, I'll do the work to make it work. If not, okay, I'll just go along with how it's working now. But I'm always pushing to make it better and always pushing to make things operate at their optimal ability to operate. That's a pattern in what I do and what I enjoy. I love doing that. That's where I feel most alive in my work. That can be a lot of different things for a lot of different people. So think about that in your career history, in your hobbies. How do you usually approach the world? And when you do the things you do, what are the things that really light you up and make you excited? It might not necessarily even be the activity because that that piece for me has taken a lot of different forms. It's taken the form of writing actual proposals. It's taken the form of improving policies and procedures. It's taken all kinds of forms, but it hasn't always looked the same. All I know is it's the same inkling, the same kind of drive that pushes me to do the same things over and over again. That's how I express my value in the world because that, those are my strengths and that's what I do. So think about the patterns in what you do and enjoy and then identify what those things are. Look for ways to, to really draw that out of yourself and to bolster it with understanding what your strengths are. What's positive about this approach for you? How does it work in different organizations? I'll say for me, the thing that I do as far as looking for ways to improve and continuously pushing things to improve and always having a growth mindset, frankly, in a lot of organizations, if I'm going to be there for a long time, that can be exhausting for organizations. A lot of times an organization actually needs to reach a place of stasis where they can do what they're doing for a while and kind of be okay with that thing. For me, that's really hard to exist within. So it's, it's better for me to be a consultant because I can do that work with lots of different organizations in different ways and different phases, but I'm not wearing them out there. So looking for those patterns and understanding what they are, bolstering them, celebrating them, and also understanding how best to apply them is one way that you can supercharge your career. Here's the third thing. So it's called <laughs> invest in your own professional development. I, I think of this partially because I just always have and partially because I had a conversation with somebody the other day who I think will appear on the podcast later and I'm really, really looking forward to that. She's an amazing person who has her own mission in life in so many different ways and she reflects that in lots of different jobs that she has. But one of the things that she said to me is the opposite of what I do and it's really intriguing. So you can do this too if you want. She's great. You can be great even if you don't invest in your professional development but you're probably not going to move your career forward as quickly if you don't. So she said, my mom told me never to invest in my own professional development for a nonprofit career. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. I, I understand what you're saying. Ha, jokingly, haha, I wish I had known that before I went to grad school, wink, wink. 
<laughs> because now I have, you know, a billion dollars in student loans or something like that. I haven't looked for a while, but it's around a billion, I think. So I, I thought that was interesting uh, because it does make sense on potentially on a financial level in a nonprofit career, there's probably an earning cap somewhere that's not as high as your earning cap maybe in the private sector or if you were to operate your own business or something. But um, for me, at least, investing in my own professional development has been something that has absolutely pushed me ahead in my career because I've been able to constantly learn as I go everything I need to know to at least attempt something. Um, so investing in my professional development has allowed me to have more confidence. It's allowed me to understand lots of different areas. Um, I've, I've personally invested in even certifications that I think are important to me. Of course, I mentioned I went to grad school as well, which was my own personal professional development. Um, and I, I always recommend that you read the most up and coming literature in your field or in a field you're interested in or in a complementary field or keeping up all the time on whatever research is coming down the pike. Take a class. If you don't feel like you're good at something, take a class and try to get a little better at it. Or if you are good at something, take a class and be even more amazing at it. Investing in your own professional development is going to show that you're dedicated, that you're interested, that you're passionate, that you're willing to do what it takes to do the job well. Those are all valuable things that every employer wants and needs. So I highly recommend that you do it. Do it within reason. Set a budget for yourself. Do it whatever you want to do it. You can spend $5 a month or you can spend $500 a month. Like I don't care how much you do, but you really ought to think about how you can learn all the tools you need to learn to do the work that is to be done. And you have to own that and you have to push that because nobody else is going to do it for you, frankly. In a lot of organizations, there's not a huge budget for you to go to all kinds of different trainings. Sometimes you actually have to seek out that information yourself and find a way to get it in a different format or find a person that's willing to teach you what they know or whatever it might be. So invest in that professional development. I'd also add to this, if you aren't just taking classes and so forth, that having a coach is absolutely valuable. I had an executive coach that my organization did pay for toward the end of my tenure at Nedco. And it was great. It was weird because I had the same coach as my boss had, and, and we had some like kind of communication problems or some relationship stuff that needed to be worked out. So it was sort of odd for us to share a coach. But at the same time, that coach provided me with just the right nugget of wisdom at just the right time, many times. And I actually go back to the things that she and I talked about all the time, just because having somebody there who's able to reflect back to you, the reality of what you're seeing or what you're going through is so important. So invest in a coach. It, sometimes you can get a coach for a very small amount of money. Sometimes your organization will pay for it. Definitely, definitely invest in that for yourself. I do now, and I always will. The next thing is know your value. This is the fourth thing. Know your value and ask for it. So this might even go back to kind of those famous, famous conversations around um, the wage gap or around... Um, anyone in nonprofits not making as much as you make in the private sector or anyone in nonprofits making less than somebody else who works the same job in a nonprofit. So here's, here's where we get into trouble sometimes. Last week I talked about workaholism. We all work hard and we all put everything we can into our work. And sometimes you do that without anything in return. Now, it's also important as you grow in your career and in your job, especially if you're just transferring through the same organization, that you are able to specify what that value is and how much you're worth now based on your new duties. If you can get your hands on a um, like an industry-wide report about salaries, that is the best thing to do because then you can actually pin what your salary ought to be based on similar organizations of similar sizes in your area. As I moved up in the organization, what that meant. So according to the organization, it meant one thing. According to the market, it meant another. It was also interesting because so many of my jobs actually completely changed in nature and they were new for the organization as, an, as a whole. So I started out as a homeownership counselor at one pay grade. And then once I was a program and resource development director, I was in a completely different stratosphere as far as what I was worth and what I should get paid. When we brought in someone from the outside to be the new finance director who happened to be a man, 
Uh, he got paid almost $20,000 more than I did, even though I ranked uh, in more seniority than he did. So I asked for almost as much as he got paid. And I didn't ask for the same amount, mainly only because he had like way more experience than I did as far as years go. But I got what I was what I was worth, and I felt like it was fair. So I think it's important for you to be able to ask those questions. Now, I'm not talking about a, a little pittance here. Like I'm talking about when I made that last jump, it was um, over, t- what was it, like $14,000 or something a year in a raise immediately. And the other challenge to this is that it's not always easy for us to ask for what we're, we're worth, especially in a nonprofit, because you don't want to hurt the budget or if you're like in development for instance you don't want to have to raise that money necessarily but the reality is you should get paid what you're worth or you're not going to be happy you're it's really hard to have work satisfaction when you know you could easily go get a job at the organization down the road and get paid what you're worth instead of staying where you are and the organization that you're at if they don't see that then they should learn it and if they don't learn it then maybe you should go get the job at the organization down the street i'm just saying it's not bad for you to get what you're worth and i think you need to learn how to ask for that this is an acquired skill i didn't have it when i first started out i was just lucky that i had bosses who were able to see my value and help me to know what it was and then to be fair about it and to be honest about it when it was time for me to get a big raise and to also be willing to go to the board and say like hey i know that it looks like this person makes twice as much as they made when they started here and they do but it's because you know this is this is how this is all worked out and this is the new job and this is the new duty it's hard for people sometimes to separate out yourself you as a person from the new job you're doing especially when your organization's somewhat informal so this is another place where it's really important for you to say here's here's the value of what i've invested in myself now i have a master's degree now i have whatever I have this certification, that certification, so I should be able to get paid X amount of dollars, and this is what the going rate is in the in the general market for this kind of a position, so this is what I would like. And then you can negotiate from there rather than saying, like, well, I started at $35,000, and now I want to make $75,000. But, you know, it's been five years and I've done all these things in between now and then, and this is what I actually provide for you now. That's a huge leap. But if you're able to know at every increment what your value is and ask for it, you'll get there and you'll be able to make that happen for yourself without being super hard. It's actually not hard to do. Um, So know your value and ask for it. So the next one is um, be adventurous and make your own opportunity. So I will say that at every single organization that I ever worked at, uh, I'm sorry, at the one organization that I worked at most and uh, advanced through, no, let let me take that back. Going back to the beginning here, at every organization I've worked at, I have actually been adventurous and made my own opportunity. So starting at that coffee shop I worked at between college years, so when I was done with college just for two years, I took off, came home, worked at the coffee shop, I actually did basically give myself a management job, which did come with a little bit of a raise. And I worked myself into that position by saying, that's what I wanted. So I told my boss, I want to be a manager. What do I need to do for that? And she didn't really believe me or something. I think she always thought I was younger than I was, but I just became a manager because I did a really good job and I took on new tasks and I took charge and I showed people that I could be a leader and I showed people that I could do well. So I did work myself into a different position there. I did the same thing when I worked at the regional coffee shop. I was able to create opportunity for myself to move forward and up multiple times because I was able to communicate what I wanted. So when the person um, at the store I took over was moving to a different store, I said, hey, I'd be interested in being there. So they said, yeah, let's let's do an interview. That's great. So I was able to get that store. When they said they were going to create a new level of management, the assistant regional management level, I was like, I want to do that job now. And they said, cool, that would be great. So I was able to move into those different positions really seamlessly and effortlessly because I always said I wanted to. Now, in those situations, those were kind of presented to me as not even opportunities, but just, you know, keeping me abreast of what was going on and what the changes were. And then I jumped on those opportunities. Well, at NEDCO, it was different than that. I was able to say, oh, I think my job should be this. And this is what I think the pain point should be. And here's the job description I think that I should have. And then I would talk about it with my boss and we'd negotiate it. And then, you know, we would really decide what it was going to be and then base our new work on that. It was fascinating to be able to do that. And when people would come into the organization and ask me, like, how did you get into this position? I would tell them that, like, I basically made up every job I've ever had here. 
because I was able to take the initiative to see what needed to happen, what needed to be done, what duties weren't being covered, and what I was good at, match those things up and make a proposal for that. Is that going to work every single time? No, it's not going to work every single time. Do you also have to have good relationships? Yes, you do. Do you have to have some credibility? Yes, you do. You have to prove yourself. You have to be able to do the work. But at the same time, if you don't also say, this is what I want and this is how I think this can happen, you're not going to make the opportunity that you want to make for yourself. So be adventurous, make your own opportunity, be bold, and ask for it. Okay, so the next one after making your own opportunity is to fail fast. Now, I did a lot of things in a lot of different jobs that I've had that were not a fit for me to do. I did them for a while because they needed to be done. Sometimes I did it because I just wanted to try it. But ultimately, the most important thing I learned in all of those efforts was do not hold on to something too long past where it can be salvaged or past where you can salvage your own reputation when it comes to that thing. So fail fast. If you are trying something new, set it up so that you have a time frame in which to try it and then try it and do it for that amount of time until you realize whether or not you should continue doing it. This is for all business. You should actually run your programs this way too so you can set up that you can set up a new program as fast as you can to try it and see if it works. And if it doesn't, stop doing it so you're not wasting time and effort on it. But we don't always think about this on our own career side. But I think that it's valuable because it'll allow you to feed your curiosity and it will allow you to try more things and take some risks at the same time, setting yourself up so that, you know, there's an out or a, at least a moment of truth where you can talk with your boss or whoever else it is that you need to talk about it with, um, about whether or not this is something you're going to be successful doing, or if it is even something you want to do. So for instance, I could say when I started as the program and resource development director, I was better at program than I was at fundraising, for sure. But I had a fundraising interest, and I learned as much as I could from all the books I had, and I took some courses about it. I took all the trainings I could about it, and I incrementally was able to start doing some work on that front. Now, I could have pushed it and done more work on it, um, or I could have failed at it, and I, I didn't end up failing, but I could have at least said, hey, uh, while I start this job, I want to have this kind of criteria for my performance, and how about we check in in one month and see how this is going? Um, that way you give yourself an opportunity to try it and then be able to check in and see whether it's going to work or not. Once you commit to doing something and it becomes an intrinsic part of your job, it becomes a lot harder to back out of that later. And that's one of the reasons why I think failing fast or setting yourself up to have the option to step away from something if it doesn't suit you, you're not good at it, uh, is really important. Do I think that people can learn new skills? Yes. Do I think that it's important to learn new skills? Yes. Do I think you should be curious and try as much stuff as you want to try? Yeah. Do I think everybody can do everything well? Absolutely not. That's, that's crazy. Of course you can't. Everyone... You do stuff well, you do stuff not well. Let's be honest with ourselves and let's make sure that we pick and choose the things that we do, where we put our energy. Do the things you're best at and do your best to make up for the fact that you're not great at everything. So um, fail fast is the recommendation on this piece. The seventh thing is know when to stay and when to go. One of the things that we do in our culture is equate, equate leaving with failing. And that is ridiculous. So I was driving by a church a couple weeks ago, and the sign, the reader board at that church said, you only fail when you quit, Mike Ditka. So first of all, a church reader board had Mike Ditka on there as their inspirational quote. And second of all, it was equating failing with leaving. And I think that's ridiculous. Yeah, I think it's not a great idea to quit something in the middle and not try. So do try stuff. But failure doesn't mean or rather, let me strike that and reverse it. Leaving doesn't mean you failed. Leaving means that you've chosen to do something else because what you're doing right now isn't where you want to be. And I would say that there's also a time for you to buckle down and stick with something and see it through. So know the difference for yourself. Don't stay and not quit just because you're not a quitter. If you're miserable and you don't want to be there, don't be there. You could do other stuff. I think a lot of people stay where they are out of fear and a lot of people stay at where, where they are out of sheer stubbornness, and I don't think that's really healthy. It's not good for the organization, and it's not good for you. It's not good for the people around you. If your heart's not in this situation anymore, let yourself be free and go. 
do something else. Do anything else. Figure it out for yourself. But don't force yourself to be somewhere you don't want to be. Because if you don't know that about yourself and you're not paying attention to what you want and where you feel like you want to be and where you want to invest your life, then someone else is going to notice before you do. And I'd say that most of the time when people are let go or asked to leave, it's because the person didn't remove themselves when they knew they needed to. So be honest with yourself. If you really want to be somewhere, figure out what it will take for you to stay and stay happily and see if you can make that work. Just just know when to stay and when to go. Ask yourself the question, am I, am I really willing to be here? Do I really want to see this through? Do I really want to do it? And when the answer is no, leave. So I'll tell you about when I left Nedco because this is important. I was there for about six and a half years as an employee and then on retainer for another year. And I love... To this day, that organization, I actually rent my office from them um, at the Food Hub. That was one of my last projects for the organization, and I love it here, and that's why I rent back from them, because I I still totally love this organization and what their mission is and the work that they do. But there was a time when I was so frustrated in my work, and I felt like my authority was being impinged, and I felt like my, my relationship with my boss was so unhealthy, and I didn't know how to fix it, and I don't think she knew either. I think we were just really stuck in this unhealthy dynamic. I was miserable at work for months. I was angry every day. I was frustrated. I felt trapped. I felt like my employees couldn't rely on me because I didn't feel like I actually had the power to do anything anymore. I felt so frustrated every day. And one day, I went on vacation one time, which barely ever happened, but uh, I took a week off. And while I was gone, my grant writer missed a deadline and I had to have my boss let her go while I was gone, which was a debacle, of course. As soon as I came back into the office that Monday uh, after my vacation, my boss wasn't there the day she was off for a couple more days, but I walked in the office and no fewer than three people stopped me to gossip about this grant writer who got fired and then to tell me, you know, all the things that they were going to do that were actually my job that my boss and them had like freaked out about while I was gone. And I was so angry. I was so frustrated and so angry by the time I had been in the office for about 45 minutes that I absolutely had to just leave the building. I walked away. I sat by the river for an hour, something like that, and was just furious. And I realized that day that it was time for me to go. I needed to just let go of this. I wanted to be there. I wanted to be the next executive director someday at this organization. I thought that I would stay there forever until I moved out of this town. But um, that wasn't to be. I just couldn't do it anymore. And I was ready to, to go. And I also realized if I stayed, that I would probably sabotage myself or the organization in some way. Or like I, I wouldn't be really all in anymore because I just didn't see it changing for me. And I realized at that time that it was better to just step away and do something else. But it was also an amazing opportunity because what I made in that, uh, actually what I really did in that situation was I was adventurous. I made my own opportunity again one last time with the organization. And uh, when my boss got back, we were having a meeting and she expressed her displeasure in me for the billionth time. And then she asked me to take back on some duties that I had um, delegated out to staff that she didn't personally like. And so she was wanting to get rid of those staff people because she didn't personally like them, and even though they were doing a good job. And uh, I told her that I would be happy to do that job as a consultant. And so what happened at that moment was I gracefully left the organization while I also walked away with a contract to write grants for them and do some other things for them. It was a win-win because I think the organization needed me to go for a lot of different reasons, and I needed to go for my own reasons. And so it was important to do that. I could have chosen to stay and muscle through it and never stop because I'm so determined and I'll show everybody how successful I can be, but I wasn't in the right frame of mind to do that. I was burned out. I was pissed off. I was just done. So it was important for me to leave at that time. At the same time, I was able to parlay it into something positive. So leaving doesn't have to be a bad thing. It doesn't mean you're giving up. It just means you're done with a chapter. Close that chapter, open the next one. Eight, learn from detours and mistakes. There are no regrets. Now, I've had a lot of weird jobs. I told you about almost all of them. 
there were a couple jobs that I had, you know, three or four jobs at the same time for a period of time, which was crazy. But ultimately, every single job I've had has led down the road to allow me to be great at whatever it is I'm doing now. So working at the coffee shop allowed me to help open a restaurant incubator and a food hub. It allowed me to know how to run a team of people. We worked in remote places. It allowed me to build systems and operations. And I've applied that to everything else I've ever done. The work at Nedco that I did was amazing. It was applicable to everything else that I'll ever do in my life. So every single thing that you do makes sense. Even the job that I had at Levi's that I hated when I was a travel and entertainment associate, that was also very valuable stuff. I was able to learn Excel there. Uh, I had never used spreadsheets before that, but it was awesome to be able to get that experience and learn how to how to build spreadsheets and how to use them. And now I'm obsessed with them and I think they're be- the best thing ever. So that's you know one thing that I've carried from that job, as well as the ability to understand how things like that work and how to develop policy and how to discuss you know, policy violations with people at all levels of the organization, even if I don't have personal contact with them other than when I say, hey, you overspent again, you owe the company $200. But I was able to build great relationships with people just doing that. And that was a skill that I learned there too. So every single thing that you do absolutely brings you some value. So don't ever regret any of the things that you have to choose. Don't regret things that even feel like a step back for you. Don't regret when you don't do a great job. Don't regret it when you get fired. Look at everything that happens to you as an opportunity. Look at everything as a chance for you to be adventurous and make your own opportunity from here. Number nine, set big picture life goals and then work toward them. When I was in my early 20s, I used to keep notebooks. I would write lots and lots of music. Um, I was a songwriter, and I fancied myself a poetess, although my poetry was very bad. My songs were good. I don't know how that worked, but whatever. So I used to keep a lot of notebooks. And the other thing that I would do in notebooks was journal and write about my life and what I wanted to be. And from my earliest days, I wrote things like, I want to go to grad school. I want to um, teach people. I want to be a writer. So those are some of the things that I always thought that I wanted to do. I didn't actually think about those things for a very long time until last summer I was looking through that, through some of my old notebooks, and I found a few lists of like life goals that I had set. And what was really interesting is that most of those things had come to fruition one way or another. In some way, I think that when we give voice to our life goals, if they're real to us, if we really deeply mean them and feel them, they are in some way a destiny that you can kind of create for yourself. So I always knew I wanted to be a writer. And like I said, at the beginning of this podcast, I didn't always know how that was going to happen or what that looked like, but I was able to do that somehow, some way, even 10 years later, after I hadn't thought about that goal as a real thing for a very long time. So set your big picture life goals and work toward them slash set your big picture life goals at all. Because once you do, you'll start to see who you are unfold before you. And you'll be able to naturally work yourself into those places. Am I a big fan of goal setting and then following a step-by-step plan to do it? Yeah, sure. I love doing that. But I don't always do it that way. Sometimes things happen in a nonlinear way. So write down your big picture goals because whether you actually set an amazing like smart goal plan for them or you just live your life and things unfold as they do, you might actually find that you become the person that you've always known that you were uh, because you're meant to be that person. So set your big picture life goals, work toward them. And then you'll also see, as you look at you know, your biggest why, how your life goals fit into your life passion. And that's another way that you can kind of connect the dots and see where you want to go next. So my number 10 final thing to tell you about supercharging your career and shooting yourself to the next level is take time to care for yourself. So I talked about workaholism last week, and I'm still serious about workaholism. Do I think you should work hard? Absolutely, yes. Do I think you should challenge yourself to do better? Yes, you should. Should you also, though, find value in things outside of work? Absolutely, yes. And I also want to just mention that if you don't take care of yourself, then you will not have anything left to give anywhere. So you'll get burned out and being burned out really sucks. After I left Nedco, even though I had a great contract with them, my contract required minimal hours. And I swear I took a nap for like four months because I was so exhausted from the emotional turmoil of staying somewhere kind of a long time and and doing what felt like a real uphill battle for probably the last two or three years I was there. 
um, I really recommend that you try to get some space and, and perspective so that you can spend time feeling good and so that you can do the things that you love that are not just your job. So have a hobby and invest in that hobby. Do something fun, go on vacation, make sure you take a vacation every year, even if it's not going too far away. Find something that's not at your house, and if you want to go camping, go camping. If you want to go stay in a cabin, go stay in a cabin. If you want to get an Airbnb somewhere, do that. Find a way to step outside of your routine and care for yourself. Find little things that you like. Give yourself a cup of tea every afternoon. Take 10 minutes and don't work while you're doing that. Do whatever it is that you need to do. Go to lunch with your friends. Just be conscious of your needs and who you are and what you want and allow yourself to give yourself what you need because if you don't, no one else is going to do it for you. So we have ourselves the top 10 ways to supercharge your career. First, know your biggest why. And then we actually start with the top 10. So first, be insatiably curious. Two, look for patterns of what you do and enjoy. Three, invest in your own professional development. Four, know your value and ask for it. Five, be adventurous and make your own opportunity. Six, fail fast. Seven, know when to stay and when to go. Eight, learn from detours and mistakes. Have no regrets. Nine, set big picture life goals and work toward them. And 10, take time to care for yourself. These are the best ways that I know to supercharge your career. I'd love to hear from you some tips that you have for people like you who are interested in advancing your work in the nonprofit industry. So please get in touch with me. Um, my email is sarai at leannonprofit.com, or you can come and leave comments at nononsensenonprofit.com as well. You can join the private Facebook group on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash leannonprofit. And I look forward to that conversation. Thanks for listening.